Thanks for joining us again this week for the NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. I'm your host, Alexander Jay. Great show today with a full panel for the first time. We get to the best performances of the week, our top stories, where we want Victor Wembanyama to fall, and also into some playoff talk towards the end. If you've got a spare second, please subscribe or rate the show on your podcast app to help us grow, and or follow us on Instagram at Mojo Sports Network and at Mojo Stateside. Further links to our panelist content is in the show notes. Let's get to it. All right, thanks for joining us again for week 23 of the Mojo Sports Recap for the NBA. This week, we've got a full squad, everyone, in the house. Hailing from Melbourne, he's a sports facility owner and a fantasy team fanatic, Julian Balthazar. Julian, how are you? Good, good to be back as always. Next up, you may have heard him on 91.3 Sport FM in Perth. It's our mini encyclopedia. He proved it last week, Yuri Bilsic. How are you, Yuri? Good, Alex. How are you going? Good, thanks, mate. Shepparton's favorite son joins us, Jack Brophy. How are you? Good, good to be back, guys. Can't wait to get into it. And last but certainly not least, you may have heard him or read him on the raw.com. It's Tom Dev. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to talking another week of hoops. Sweet. Guys, if you enjoy the show, please remember to follow us and subscribe on Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not going to waste any more time because it was a sick week. Let's get right into it. Uh, look, leading stories for week 23, we've got a couple, and I wanted to start with the Paul George injury for the Clippers. Um, as of recording, we're midway through a couple of the games on um, Sunday 26th for us. As of recording, Sham Sharania of The Athletic reports that Paul George has a knee sprain, um, also reporting that the Clippers are optimistic it can be managed conservatively without surgery and he would be reevaluated in two to three weeks. Um, remember, the Clippers did something a little bit similar to this when Kawhi Leonard uh, turned out he tore his ACL two postseasons ago that conservatively managed will reevaluate. Uh, anyone got any major thoughts on the Paul George injury and the Clippers, who are currently in fourth, but as the West is crazy, they're only three games up from 11th? It's not ideal timing, Alex, for this injury to occur. And we know, of course, nine years ago, I think it was August 2014, when Paul George gruesomely broke his leg during a Team USA scrimmage match, and arguably that set him back for. It was an eight to nine month recovery by memory. And most miraculously, he came back. I think it was the final week or two of the 2014-15 season. And although he was playing on very limited minutes at that time, coming off the bench for the Indiana Pacers, his presence in that was just really warmly received and one that I think, you know, most people will have seen that he will have been on the sidelines for a full year. But for him to basically be so diligent in his rehab and to recover as quickly as he did was an absolute testament to, you know, his character. Because I think when you're in, your, when you're in those situations and especially as athletic as he is as well and especially with his dunking abilities, sometimes you do tend to worry about whether you will, you know, suffer the same injury yet again. And although it was a very similar injury as to what happened against OKC and the, you know, the vision of it was pretty... Ugh, not the mm. best to watch over and over again. So luckily it wasn't, you know, anything of the degree of a broken leg. And hopefully, you know, once the playoffs come around, he'll be able to be fit and firing yet again. We've seen, you know, I think Kevin Durant in his first season at Golden State in 16-17 had a very, you know, nasty MCO injury when Zaza Pachulia landed on top of it during a game against Washington. And he was basically out for, I think, 19 games and came back late in the regular season. So hopefully, you know, and so along the same lines for PG to be, you know, come back, say, first round, whether they play Phoenix or Golden State, who knows in that situation. But again, it's not ideal timing, but Eric Gordon, who's in the starting lineup, has done it for, you know, so many years during his time with the Pelicans too. So I think they don't lose too much in a way, hopefully, because Eric can, you know, really fill in those shoes nicely. They might not lose too much. I've got a stat here that the Clippers are actually five wins, two losses in the last two seasons when Paul George is out, but Kawhi is playing. Um, Kawhi particularly is playing at quite a high level. Anyone else want to comment? I've been watching a lot of Clippers basketball this last month. Yeah, I watched their uh, second game against the Thunder the other day, and it was neck and neck. I think it was about a one-point difference at halftime, and then Kawhi just decided that it was uh, t- enough time was the uh, it was time to start playing around, and he basically just took over in the third quarter, hit a couple of huge threes, and he set up all the twos. And um, 
just took over. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we've seen Kawhi win two championships. One was with that Spurs team, which is a powerhouse. But with that Raptors team, he was basically the focal point. And we've seen he's able to carry. And they do have wing depth to cover George. I mean, they got Marcus Morris, they got Gordon, they got Covington, they got Powell if he gets back from his injury, and they got Batum. So I'm not exactly ruling the Clippers out just because George isn't there, but it will hurt them. I, I couldn't agree more. I think the fact that they've got depth now, like they got rid of Luke Kennard, he just dropped uh, 10 out of 11 threes the other day for Memphis. <laughs> and people were going, oh, which they should have kept him, but they've still got shooters all over the floor and they they literally have one of the deepest um, rosters, I think, in the NBA still. So um, the fact that you just said that they were five and two with just Kawhi playing, that's only seven games, which I thought was a ridiculous stat within itself considering it's over a two-year span, but um, I don't see any big issues with the Clippers. So Kawhi averages over the last 30 days, 29.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, uh, two steals shooting, 57%, 52%, and 87% shooting five three-points a game. So that's super efficient basketball where they're already leaning on him a fair bit. Anyone concerned about his burnout? We've seen that Kawhi does have you know, that rest management issue. We've only got a few games left, and they're precariously at the top of the West. Julian, we haven't heard from you today. Yeah, I think it's um, a worry with many players, um, especially when they're not um, used to playing so many minutes. Kawhi, um, obviously, in the last few seasons, is not used to playing a lot of back-to-backs, and his minutes are just going up like crazy each week now. Um, so not sure how it plays out, but he'll be needed for a lot of those minutes throughout the playoffs. Well, Can we'll I st- add in one more yeah. thing as well, Alex, too, with Kawhi? Yep. I think we've seen from October, November, and December that his minutes have gradually increased, and I was looking at it probably a month ago in terms of his minutes per game. I think it's gone up to about 36, 37 minutes now. And he did play similar. I'm pretty sure in his only season in Toronto in 2018-19, that championship year. So it's not new for him. But as, you know, Julian mentioned too, having, you know, come back from the ACL, partial ACL tear and last season missing the entirety out and the Clippers being extremely cautious with not playing him on back-to-backs and those minutes restrictions minutes restriction, shall I say, early on from, was it 25, 26 minutes to now, you know, basically basically high 30s. I think in a way it could be detrimental, but still with, as everyone else has mentioned, the depth that the Clippers have at the small forward spot is one that matches up amongst the best. And I think, you know, it shouldn't be an issue moving forward. Well, we'll stick in the West and it might be the case we talk about a lot of great stories in the West today because it's just still a jumbly drunk mess. Um, OKC have been on a bit of a run. Uh, we've been talking about them the last couple of weeks. They're 7-4 and four in their last 11 games, making a surge. Uh, SGA's averages over the last 30 days are literally insane. It's almost 35 points, almost six rebounds, four assists, shooting 53% from the floor, shooting 22 times a game. So he's putting the team on his back. Uh, Julian, you want to talk about OKC? Yes, yes. I was looking into, I've been watching a few of their games and I was just doing a bit of research earlier on their stats. And um, SGA, I think last week Yuri had mentioned that there's only a few games that Embiid had scored 20 points. And looking at SGA's games this year, there's only three games out of the 60 or so he's played that he hasn't scored more than 20 points. Sorry, that he scored less than 20 points. So three games, he scored less than 20 points. And one of those games was 18, which is just ridiculous how consistent he is. And further on top of that is um, his field goal percentage is one of the highest for guards out there. Um, there's only two guards that are shooting a better field goal percentage than him, and that's one of them is De'Aaron Fox, and one of them is fellow Jalen Williams. So, okay, so yeah, super exciting at the moment. Um, and obviously, we all know that SGA is cuter than Josh Giddy as well, <laughs> according to you blokes, which I still disagree with. But um, J-Dub as well, um, a lot of people are saying that he should be rookie of the year. And 99% of those people are probably OKC fans because uh, Paolo Bancaro is a dollar one to win Rookie of the Year. But nonetheless, Jalen Williams is playing some fantastic basketball as well. So, yeah, yeah it's J- super exciting. Jay Dub, and you've got to be careful because there is two Jalen Williams there are who are semi-similar <laughs> on OKC, both rookies. But uh, the Jalen Williams who's been playing out of his skin is averaging 20 points in the last 30 games. Um, I think he's probably overtaken Benedict Matherin for like that second favourite for the second place finish in Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I've been watching a ton of Thunder basketball. Has anyone else been paying attention? Yeah, I've been watching a fair amount as well just because they're so entertaining and they're in that playoff sort of play-in picture now. Um, my question that I would like to raise to all of you guys is, is this the off-season where Sam Presti opens up that treasure chest of picks and goes in for that, you know, star player? Because if you look at their 
four sort of core players. They've got SGA, they've got Giddy, they've got Dort, who just absolutely locked down Kawhi on defense in that win against the Clippers earlier. And Chet Holgram's going to come back next season, we hope. So should they be going for another start? I mean, yeah, the the story of last week was Jalen Brown might actually be available for trade because of that contract situation if he doesn't make All-NBA team. Uh, Giante Murray, who knows if he's actually going to want to stay in Atlanta. Damian Lillard is now the time that he actually does leave or like a DeMar or Zach, uh, Zach Levine or even a Siakam if the Raptors decide to blow it up. Uh, yeah, I think... With the amount of picks that they've got, it's something ridiculous. I, can't, I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head, but I know over the next five or six years, there's so many picks. Um, for me, I would be bunching up those picks. I think it's six in the next two years, bunching them up and getting a player like Jalen Brown. I think he would fit perfectly into the team and um, you've nailed it there, Tom. You think he might be available too, the way his communication at Boston's been the last, you know, you could push it a season, but the last couple of weeks he's been a bit nonchalant in the media saying, mm, okay. Um, look, we also forget about um, Alexi Pokashevsky. He returned dressed to the lineup, didn't play this week, but a glimmer of hope that he could turn out to be a diamond in the rough as well. Anyone else want to touch on OKC? I think they've got the uh, third easiest schedule remaining, according to tankathon.com. So in the next couple of weeks, they play Portland, Charlotte, Detroit, and Indiana. You think if they're on top of their game, that's four potential wins there as well. Yeah, wow. definitely, Alex, too. And what was, what is also similar to this Thunder team, and we probably all know very well, is when basically in the late 2000s, when, of course, drafting Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, basically, basically it's similar to that young core and that OKC have, you know, rebuilt the tool for, tools for the last couple of seasons. And I think they've had about 15 to 19 or have got between 15 to 19 first-round draft picks over the next five years as Jack touched on and is what Sam Presti has accumulated, especially that Paul George trade in the summer of 2018. So there's so many, you know, in a way, good things going on with OKC, even though they're a small market team, like, you know, 24 of the other NBA sides, unfortunately, and, you know, they don't get as much media attention as, say, the Lakers, Clippers, and we could name them on the rest of the other teams too. But in a way, everything's there now, and I don't think, Going into the season, we expect them to be sitting, what, 36 and 38 with eight games left in the regular season. I think most will have been like, well, they may be 23 and, you know, 49 at this stage or 24, 48 situation. But what they've done from, I think, 11 and 18 in December after they lost to Minnesota, I'm pretty sure. I was looking it up this morning too because I think next week, Alex, too, as part of the segment, I think we can touch on season series if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that was one I was looking through this morning and writing them down from fourth all the way down to 12th, and that's going to be really crucial, especially if both teams have the same conference, well, the same records in the conference, because I know that the Lakers hold the type, won the tiebreak over Golden State 3-1, especially what they've done over the last you know month and a bit now. If they can get to that sixth spot, then beat the Golden State Warriors on record or have the same record, then they'll beat them because of the tiebreaker. The Lakers is currently only a game and a half back from Golden State as well. Um, look, anyone else want to touch on the Thunder? Because there's a lot in the West that we can keep talking about, including the New Orleans Pelicans, who are somehow still holding on. Um, look, they're in the middle of a game now against the Clippers, and they're 15 points up. Trey Murphy the third's lighting them up, so it's almost half time. Um, everything could be out of date by the time we finish this podcast. But the Pels currently on a three-game winning streak. Um, mainly courtesy of Brandon Ingram, averaging 29.5 points. Eight and, a seven, uh, eight and a half assists, which is huge for him, and he's shooting 50% from the floor. Um, look, the Pelicans, one of those teams, we still have no real return uh, possibility or timeline on Zion. They play really great, interesting, entertaining basketball when they're on, but they do tend to have these lows. Currently sitting in ninth, again, they're halfway through a game against the Clippers, but that ninth position is only one, two, two and a half games back from a home court advantage finish. Thoughts on the Pelicans, boys? Nobody's been watching Pelicans basketball. Yes, yes, I think, you know, they're just getting it clicking together at the right time, Alex. And, of course, Zion was going to be re-evaluated the next couple of weeks with that hamstring. And I think what they've done well, you know, this recent stretch of games too, Alex, is this swung Brandon Ingram to power forward too. And that's really sort of opened up the floor with Trey Murphy playing at the two and also, well, Herb Jones as well. So they've sort of incorporated a real good blend of shooting as well as defense too. And I think at times they can go small if they want to by minimizing Valentinus to the bench and 
say, putting Larry Nance Jr. at the five, and that's helped the Pelicans tremendously get back to, you know, right in the thick of the playing race. So I think the other part of it for the Pels too is the three-point shooting, and we've probably touched on this a few times already on the team. They're not a high-volume three-point shooting team. They only, I think, take around between 29 to 33-point attempts per game, which is, you know, a far discrepancy to, you know, the top teams like Boston, Golden State, Memphis, who take up a boatload of threes per game, and including Milwaukee, of course. So that as well, I think, you know, if they do make the playing tournament, it you know, it's going to come in handy if they can knock down those threes like they have been doing recently. And, of course, with Trey Murphy being basically their number one three-point shooter and CJ McCullum, both of them take basically over five threes a game. Brandon Ingram's not, you know, the most high-volume three-point shooter and, you know, he operates from the mid-range as, you know, very Aka Kevin Durant-like too and basically, you know, the same mould that he came into in the NBA as, you know, KD when he got first drafted in 2016. So, again, it's going to be, you know, for the Pels, I think a lot more of it's going right on the defence. The offence is, you know, fine, but that side of the court is going to be where the whole, you know, the rest of these, you know, remaining games are going to be determined. And, you know, they're doing it thus really well against the Clippers. And also season series two, which we'll probably harp on a bit more next week. They've also, you know, had a few season series ties against the Dallas Mavericks to a piece. They yep, yep. currently lead Golden State 2-1 in the season series by memory too. And there's one more game between the sides coming up next Wednesday, next Tuesday. Yeah, next week. As well. So, yeah, the Chase Center. So there's so many, you know, determinants going on for the Pels, but, at the moment, they've just rewritten the ship nicely to get it back on course. Talk about a team I think the Pels are playing in Golden State, if I've got that correct. Um, look, they very famously have not won on the road until since January, and they pulled up two this week. Mr. Tom Dev, talk to us about Golden State. Yeah, so not can't give too much credit for the win against Houston on the road, although they have Houston have beaten teams like the Celtics, Pelicans, uh, and the Lakers recently, so... Who knows, maybe that's them just uh, showing off a little bit since their record's a bit too far out to do anything. Uh, and then there was that bizarre Mavs game with the the controversial Kevon Looney two points, but you will let Mark Cuban and the NBA sort that one out. Otherwise, we could go on that for a while. But their huge win against 70, uh, the 76ers yesterday at home where Embiid was unstoppable. He could get to the line whenever he wanted and he could just he, he was scoring at will and it kind of showed... You know they're not there without Wiggins. They don't really have that big man who can sort of defend him. Uh, but they still pulled it out. And Curry and Clay are now looking as consistent as ever. Jordan Poole probably had his best game arguably in over a year. Mm. Um, Draymond finally looks like he's sort of ramping up for the playoffs and he's sort of getting ready to hit his strides again. Uh, the only issue I see is their depth. I think they're a little bit struggle. They'll struggle a little bit in the playoffs for a bit of a few adjustments. Although it has just been reported about half an hour ago that Gary Payton might be coming, or well, he's playing tomorrow. So that would be a huge addition. Um, but still, I don't think their defense is good enough. You know, without Wiggins, assuming he doesn't come back, uh, it'll be a bit tough. I mean, last year's playoff, Green was the face of their defense, but Wiggins was the heart and soul. Uh, so without him, I, I don't see them really making a huge threat come playoff time. I, I think I worry in terms of the bigs as well. I think so too. Cut in, but with the big side of things as well, especially if they play Phoenix, and again, we spoke briefly on this a couple shows ago too, and they do play the Suns in the first round, they're going to have to contend with DeAndre Ayton, Bismack Biombo, and that's where Golden State's a little bit thin on the big man front line, especially if you take out Kavon Looney. Of course, still the death lineup's going to be efficient, but that's where the worry is going to be if they do play either you know, the Clippers or you know, Phoenix in the first round, especially if the Clippers adding Mason Plumlee to go with Evita Zubat. So that's the worry for Golden State if they do, say, finish sixth or fifth in the West. I thought I'd give a, a little bit of a different element to this podcast as well and add probably for the week a good team and a bad team. Um, and for me, it was between actually the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Warriors have won three in a row. Um and the Grizzlies have won five in a row. But mm. I, think the way that, I think the way that the Warriors have won, especially against the Sixers the other day, um, and, of course, they're, they're leaning on Curry and Clay, but um, they're ramping up at this time of year. Yes, I don't think their defense is good enough, but for me, they're probably my team of the week. Um, and that also probably leads me into my poor team of the week, and I, that's the Miami lukewarm because they're not, <laughs> they're not the Miami Heat at the moment. 
um, the way that they're playing. Like they've lost five in a row and they're, they're five and five in their last ones and they lost to the Nets today by 29 points. Um, and for me, like Miami's got this team, we talk about depth and, yes, they've had a few injuries and that sort of thing, but I don't, I don't see where they're, where they're going to be heading because they're, they're seventh in the East at the moment, but they're just sort of floating in and out of there. It's like, yeah, we might make the playoffs, but we're not going to really do any damage there. So for me, the Miami Heat or the Miami lukewarm, like I stated earlier, um, I reckon it could blow up at the end of the season. I reckon there could be huge trades in and out. They've brought in Lowry. You've got Oladipo who, yes, he's come back from a big injury, but he hasn't really found his form. Um, and Gabe Vincent, for me, is not really a, a starting point guard. So, Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Jack, do you think that, how do you think that Kevin Love signing has panned out for the Heat? And was that a silly signing? What does he add? And really, is that just going to end up in him being traded? Well, I think him and Bam don't really work together quite well. Um, I thought it was quite odd that they did start him. Um, and Kevin Love's numbers, as you can see, probably haven't been what they were for Cleveland coming off the bench as well. So um, it was an interesting trade. And you might look at it um, and say, oh, Kevin Love's gone to Miami. But um, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Miami at all. I just think that they're coasting to make the playoffs. And, um, yeah, it could be interesting to see at the end of the year, what, what they're going to do with that squad that they've got. We were talking about Miami currently sitting in seventh and who knows what happens with the play-in, but the teams they would play in the first round of the playoffs, they're either going to be the Bucks and the Celtics. So that Bucks heat, you know, historically has been a bit of a rivalry the last couple of years, but the Bucks playing absolutely out of the skin, you think Miami's not a threat. The Celtics up and down, does anybody think that the heat could pose a first round threat to the Celtics? Because I don't. I think the Celtics might pose a threat to the Knicks or the Nets if they manage to get into the fifth seed and then swap that around. But I don't think they're, they're anybody to the top team of the East. No, I, th- I think the ability of Jimmy Butler to win games, that's why I've got him as my clutch player, is phenomenal. But it drops off after that. Tyler Hero can be very good and he can be very standard at times as well. So, yeah, for me, I just I just don't see where they're at at, at this stage. Anyone else? Yeah, it's been hard to get a read on too. I think Alex with Miami this season after what they achieved, they were basically floating on 500 right throughout you know, the first couple of months of the season. I think they were 7-11 on November 22 against after a loss to Minnesota. So they've had, you know, the real, you know, in terms of imbalance, inconsistencies along the way and sort of they've picked it up, you know, at times and, you know, at various stages they've sort of dipped off a little bit. But the other thing too as well, Alex, today, they, they lost to the Brooklyn Nets and basically what happens now is the Nets won the tiebreaker 3-0, swept all mm, three games. Did. So if, say, now, for example, if both teams finish on, what, 44 and 38 records, for example, then the Nets going to finish as the sixth seed and that's going to come back to Port Miami. But what they can probably, you know, hopefully will take a bit of heart out of is, you know, going four twos, they could potentially challenge say, for the seventh seed. And, you know, what happened last season, the postseason against Boston, the Eastern Conference Finals, went all the way down to, what, a two-possession game in the seventh and deciding outing. So those things, you know, can't be underestimated. And we know, of course, with Boston, just touching a little bit on the Celtics, they are a very heavy three-point shooting team, Alex. And, of course, against the Bucks, they shot up a boatload of threes. And, of course, game seven was, you know, the real, what, the the one that broke the camel's back with Grant Williams hitting eight threes and just I think for, you know, Bucks fans didn't see that coming because he absolutely shot the lights out. And Miami at times, well, not at times, but they're not a great three-point shooting team, Alex. So that's where the worry would be if they do play Boston in the 2-7 matchup in the first round of the series is how they're going to, you know, generate, you know, say 15-plus threes a game to give themselves every chance of winning because the main one's going to be on Max Struess, Tyler Hero, Kevin Love, if he can, you know, go back to his Minnesota Timberwolves days. So that's going to be where, you know, for Miami to really make some inroads, the three-point shooting style really vastly improve. We might head back to the West because super interesting stuff at the moment. Ja Morant returned for the Memphis Grizzlies. I know, Jack, you said this was one of your other teams of the week. Uh, Memphis currently have the longest active winning streak, I think, as of today in the league at five. Um, Stephen Adams still an unknown return date from that PCL injury. I honestly forgot that Ja Morant had that facial fracture right before he served that suspension. He's returned with the um, the, the Dark Knight kind of mask on his face. That was 
are funny for me. Uh, Julian, you got some questions you want to pose to Jack. I don't know how much we've all been paying attention to the Grizzlies. I know they've been super solid without Jar. Julian. Well, that's, yeah, one of my questions was Jar was coming off the bench and they still put up, I think, 150 points against the Rockets. And um, what is their dynamic like with um, Tyce Jones in the starting lineup? And is, when does Morant expected to return to the starting lineup? And how far do you see the Grizzlies being able to go? Absolutely love that question because I love Tyus Jones. I think that he can be a really good two-way player as well. And um, even today, he put up a triple-double, which is um, a great effort when it, wow. went to, when it went to overtime. So he had 20, 10, and 10. So basically just got the triple-double. But um, I, I really like the components of their team. Obviously, they're a bit blockbuster and probably the villain of the NBA um, for how people are looking at it with Dylan Brooks and um, his shenanigans. Yeah. And what he has to say, but if that's the motivation that they need going into the playoffs, um, well, it's going to be exciting to watch. I think. Um, I think Tillman as well, filling in for Stephen Adams. He's not, he's not an A grader by any means, but um, he's definitely been serviceable enough in holding that position. And Desmond Bain with the the biggest biceps I think I've ever seen on the NBA court for. He looks like he's about five foot six, but he's, I think he reads at about six foot two. It might be just because his arms are so big, but um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a knockdown shooter as well. And um, it, he's exciting in, in what they can do. And when they move the ball quickly, the Grizzlies, there's not many better teams to watch, I don't reckon. So I think that they can really be a threat if they get Morant back, if Adams gets back and they have that little bit of time to gel. I'm not. Where are they sitting? I'll just have to have a look just quickly. Um, they're sitting second in the West. So wow. um, if if they can get through early and get some games into those players um, with a 46 and 27 record, um, I, I really think that they can do some damage um, come the playoffs, especially for the West. Yeah, if you look at um, some of the teams that do really well in the playoffs, they they generally have a lot of key ingredients, and I think if you um, talk about the Grizzlies, like they've got the defense covered with one of the potential defensive players of the year. Dylan Brooks is a great defender. He can knock down threes. Desmond Bain, one of the best three-point shooters. John Morant, one of the best drivers um, to the basket. So really, if you think about all the ingredients they have, they actually do have what it takes to go far. They've had some of that playoff experience the last couple of years too. That was always the knock on them that they were playing very well, but didn't have that experience outside of Stephen Adams. Um, look, Jack, I'd be super interested to hear what your um, the worst team of the week is. I think I know what mine is, and I think I know what Tom's might be, and it is the Atlanta Hawks. I know Trey um, Trey Young got <laughs> kicked out of the game earlier today, uh, received a technical and thrown out for just blasting a ball right at the ref after a non-call. Tom, talk to me about the Hawks. I think are sitting 37 and 37 at the moment. What the hell do we do there? Yeah, so one of the games that we did have this week that might have got lost a little bit just because it doesn't have as big playoff implications, but it's what I'm calling the Purgatory Cup or uh, the who wasted more draft assets on a player that uh, didn't get them close to contending for a title. That's a really long title uh, for a cut, but we'll roll with it. Yeah, Uh, abbreviate it maybe. Uh, But uh, the Hawks versus Timberwolves game, which was uh, Carl Anthony Towns' return game, and he hit the two clutch free throws to win by a point and send the Hawks back down to under 500 at that point, but they won the game this morning against the Pacers. So they're 37-37. All year round, basically, they've been flirting with 500, and they're basically doing nothing special. Um, I mean, they fired uh, Matt McMillan about a month ago, brought in Quinn Schneider, which was a bit of an interesting move for him personally, in my opinion, because I thought he could have easily gone to a a team with higher expectations given his past resume with the Jazz. Um, But it's pretty unrealistic they're going to do any damage in the playoffs this year. But looking at their future, uh, they gave up for three first-round picks for uh, for Giante Murray. Uh, a lot of them, two of them are unprotected, which could end up actually costing them dearly. And you look at their contract breakdown. Uh, next season, you got Trey Young on forty million, John Collins, probably the most untradeable player in the NBA, as we've seen in the last two trade deadlines, twenty five million, Clint Capella twenty million, and Giante Hunter twenty million, and then Bogdanovich, who just signed that extension, is going to be eighteen and a half million. So, with Murray coming out of contract, they're going to need to give him an extension. They've Going to have to find some sort of wiggle room. But is Murray even going to want to stay? That team's not really going anywhere. I feel like we give them far too much credit for that playoff run a couple of years ago. And really, Murray's not, it's not like he's a young star. He's going to be 27 at the end of the next year, uh, end of this year. So why would he want to waste his career in Atlanta? Couldn't agree more. 
Um, for what Alex was saying for my worst team, it was the Miami Heat. But um, now that we're actually talking about the Atlanta Hawks, um, I reckon Quinn Snyder would have had in his contract to add some TNT to it because he's going to blow that joint up. Mm. They are, they're no good. Uh, I, don't, I just don't think that, that the two guards of Murray and Young work. They don't look like they're on the same page together. Um, you know, it might take time. They've, they've only just been there early. But um, the way that Quinn Snyder coaches and the attitude supposedly of Trey Young I wouldn't be surprised if Trey Young's on the trading block at the end of um, this season as well. But, yeah, for me, the Hawks are in no man's land as well as the Heat. If I'm the Hawks, I hold on to Onyeka Onkongru and probably that's it. You know, you see what the interest is for Trey Young. Bogdan Bogdanovich just signed that extension, which is kind of handy for trades in the future. John Collins has been on the trade block for about 25 years at the moment. Uh, look, we might take a really quick break and then we'll get back to our performances of the week. All right, you're back with us. We're going to sit around and talk about our performances of the week for week 23 in the NBA. There was a couple of, uh, there's always a couple of big ones, but maybe the biggest one, Julius Randle's 57-point game in the garden. Uh, came in a loss. So Julius Randle had 52 points through three quarters. He also had a 26-point uh, quarter, which was the most in a quarter for a Knicks. So he's setting records left, right, and center. Um, I think he had a turnover with uh, time expiring that could have potentially made the game a little bit closer, but he got sniped, pulled the rebound down, couldn't control it, uh, game over. Um, that's my performance for the week, Julius Randle. I always love my baby Lakers. He still seems to have some aggression issues in the Knicks, so plays really well in that game and then um, didn't play so well the rest of the week. Um Julian Embiid's been killing it as well. Is he your performance of the week? Or he's had two really big games. You could pick and choose. Yes, um, we did talk a lot about him last week. And I think I mentioned that the Warriors have uh, trouble handling big men. And then um, I think Draymond came out and said that Embiid is one of the hardest players to guard. And even though it was in a losing performance, Embiid put up 46 points, um, 13 from 23 from the field. And I think I mentioned when Harden's not on the side, his assists go up a little bit. And he had nine rebounds and eight assists as well. So um, literally everything just goes through him. And there are a lot of people who say that Embiid lives at the free throw line, um, which to those people I say he also lives in your head rent-free because uh, <laughs> he's just so good in all aspects. And, uh, yeah, he honestly, I think that MVP is just looking more and more like his every day. So does sports bet. I've got a bet on uh, for Giannis Antetokounmpo for MVP and that cash-out offer is dwindling every week. Uh, Yuri, who's your performance of the week? Yeah, so I got Anthony Davis's 37-point performance, Alex, too, and in a very crucial win as well because now pretty sure the Lakers won the season series 2-1 over the Thunder by memory, if I'm not mistaken. So, again, we saw earlier in – well, basically in December, Alex, too, that he absolutely went off in consecutive games against the Milwaukee Bucks. He had 44 points and then the 55 points – I think it was a day later, actually, against the Washington Wizards. And basically at that time, he was basically one of the best big men in terms of, you know, his performances going around. And of course, he missed, what, just over a month with that foot injury. And now he's only played, what, I think 48 of, you know, the possible 74 games so far for the Lakers this season. But his production, though, Alex, has been tremendous. And that's what the Lakers have really needed, especially with LeBron you know, still working back from that foot injury, which he sustained against Memphis back on March 1. And again, against OKC, absolutely bullied the Thunders defenders down on the block. And that's where OKC are pretty small in terms of, you know, their bigs. And the Lakers made a real conscious effort every time to feed the ball to Davis down low and let him do what he does best on there. Hook shots, turnaround jumpers, that 15 to 18 foot jumper, which he's, you know, done for so many years during his time at the Pelicans, and again, they didn't have any answers for in the Thunder to along the way. And although, you know, he didn't hit another point for the remaining four minutes because Dennis Schroeder came up clutch with a couple of very important buckets. So, again, for the Lakers' hopes right now because they've absolutely been smoking, Alex. They've won 11 of their past 16 games. They're all 26-32 and 32 after losing to Portland back on March, February 13. So that was, I think, about a couple of days before the All-Star break and they're sort of hanging on you know, down the bottom, not quite in the playing picture. But as they're going at the moment with AD's insane production at this stage, the Lakers are going to be really scary for, you know, whoever they play. And, it's you know, it's most likely going to be in Denver Nuggets if they do win the playing tournament. And at the moment, sitting eighth at this stage, Minnesota seventh. And, of course, the Timberwolves have won the season series with one game left to play. So, again, they've just got to keep winning their matches because, 
who knows? They could finish sixth if Golden State slips late. And again, they won that season series 3-1. But the next four games after their home encounter against the Chicago Bulls are going to be the most important. Against the Timberwolves, against Houston, against Utah as well. And the Jazz have already won the season series against the Lakers too. So they've just got to keep banking on the wings, wins, shall I say, and when LeBron gets back and let AD, you know, operate from that side and not so much from the three-point line because he's had his, you know, struggles there, you know, in the past season or two, then the Lakers is going to be absolutely be clicking already as they are at the right time. Tom, who's your performance of the week? So I'm going to go from that same Joel Embiid game, but I'm going to go with Jordan Poole. Uh, while he didn't score the most points this week, he was clutch in that fourth quarter with 18 points and 12 of them were, he scored 12 straight points in that fourth for the Warriors. Uh, he finished with 33 overall, uh, 10 and 19 from the field, so very efficient off the bench. Only in 32 minutes, and he was seven from eight from the free throw line. He sort of is like that younger brother to Stephen Clay, and he doesn't normally get as many shots, and and they sort of take over games down the stretch. But they were making a conscious effort to give him the ball, and they were making sure he was taking those shots because he had it falling all night in that fourth quarter. Uh, and he hit that huge three in the corner to put the Warriors up five with a minute 18 left and basically sealed the game. And it was a game that the Warriors really needed. Uh, because they won those two games on the road. But if they lose only one or two games in a row, suddenly they're looking like they might be in the play-in again. All righty. Look, boys, half an hour into the podcast, which means it's time for Alex's secret segment. Um, week one of the podcast, a completely ridiculous segment. Week two, a somewhat more fair segment. And uh, I feel like we're going to go back to a completely ridiculous segment. Um, we don't know each other very well. So this week, Alex's secret segment is... Did I dunk a basketball this week? I'm going to give you some facts about myself and then you tell me if I dunked a basketball this week or not. Now, it happens to be my 30th birthday today, which is why I bring this up because I am an old man. So that's maybe a negative. Positive for me dunking a basketball. Happy birthday, bro. Happy birthday, Alex. Thank you. I've already lost my hair, so I'm an old man. Um, Look, I'm six foot two, so that's positive. Maybe I I can dunk a basketball. I play center in my pickup league, so maybe I'm not the most athletic. I have dunked a basketball once before in my life, but since then I've blown my ankle out. Did I dunk basketball this week? I, I, th- I absolutely think that you did, or else you wouldn't have brought it up. And <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, I just got a good feeling that you've done it, and it's. Um, I think the others might even agree with me. Anyone else? No, I disagree. I think. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I like this. I, I think you tried, and 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 you hit the bottom of the rim. I try every week, Julian. <laughs> just to uh, just to have a different opinion. No, I really hope you did dunk it, Alex. Um, Yuri, final guesses. Yeah, I'd uh, say yes. Tom. I think I think you've only brought it up just to give a bit of give a bit of subtle <laughs> flex on us. So I'm going to go with yes as well. Absolutely, it's a pat on the back. If you can dunk when you're 30 years of age and you've got your own podcast and with a couple of friends, you deserve to bring that up. Look, so Jack, <laughs> you you guess first. You can have Alex's secret segment next week. You can do whatever you like. But yes, I did dunk a basketball this week. Not in a game. It was the last layup in the layup lineup before our division game, but uh, it counts on the same. And, and can we just confirm that was a standard size ring as well? Or? It was 10 foot. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, there you go. Okay. I'm feeling a bit sore about four days later. So, you know, it took it out of me and I might never dunk another one again. But, you know, that should be a standing rule. If you get to dunk a basketball, you talk about it on the podcast. Jack, you look kind of tall. I reckon you could dunk. Mate, I'm 5'10". It's, uh, it's, deceiving. it's deceiving through a laptop, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, I, I, play the, I play the point guard and I just facilitate. I'm not a great shooter. Uh, well, speaking of com- uh, player comparisons to me, Victor Wembanyama. No, that's completely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I haven't uh, asked you guys to prep, but I want to have a conversation about where you would like to see Victor Wembanyama end up the most. Uh, coming to the back end of the season, we've got about two weeks left for most teams. Um, and the separation, particularly at the bottom of the East, has been apparent for some time, including Jack Brophy's very own Detroit Pistons. So I think I know who he's going to vote for. Um, I'll give my two cents. I would really like to see... Um, that dynamic with Pop Pop in uh, San Antonio. Uh, the Spurs have a couple of interesting players who I think we could get some value out of, including Zach Collins. They're still holding on to Doug McDermott for some reason, um, but they're rookies. They've got Keldon Johnson, who's been playing well. Jeremy Soshan's uh, shown some promises. And they have a guy this week who had his career high, and I'm absolutely going to butcher the pronunciation of his last name, Sandro Mamoulukushalavili. That is his last name. Um, played fairly well in a game. I can't remember who they played, but he's on like the absolute minimum. 
Jack, let's get it out of the way. I know you want Wemby on Detroit. I actually don't. Oh. Um, well, we've got that many big bands at the Pistons at the moment. People don't want to hear about the Pistons, but we've got Bagley, Wiseman, Duran um, at at your big positions, basically. And um, I think basically the Pistons would be looking at either Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, who plays for Alabama. So I think that those two would be a really good fit for the Pistons, but enough about them. I think uh, Wemby or Wembenyana, however the nickname is going to be, I think he'd be a really good fit at um, Charlotte Hornets. Um, they obviously got rid of Mason Plumley, And to compliment LaMelo Ball when he gets back in, I think – um, it could be really exciting, and maybe Michael Jordan might, won't want to sell his um, sell his stocks at the Hornets. Maybe they pick him, and then he sells for an extra half a billion dollars. Yuri, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so I've got the Spurs too, like yourself, Alex. I think you know the nucleus that they're building around with, you know, Keldon Johnson season and his production again the last couple of months has you know really been good because he had a shooting slump there at one point, and I think he shot like thirty five percent. I think it was in the month of. November, December, which he really tailed off, but he's picked up his shooting numbers yet again. Malachi Branham is another one too in his rookie year. He's had some really good games too. Zach Collins has had, you know, really good bounce back last couple of months for the Spurs. And what's all similar in the way, I think, too, Alex, is going back to, of course, the 90s when they drafted Tim Duncan and, of course, they had that injury ravaged campaign, Sean Elliott missing a majority portion of the season and, Basically, David Robinson missed a chunk of the year too. I think David Robinson missed like something like 30 games and Sean Elliott missed 62 with an injury. So they're in a very similar situation, the Spurs. And if they can draft, you know, of course, get that number one pick and draft Victor Webb and Yamas, they did with Tim Duncan, the consensus number one pick overall back in 1997, then it's going to be a very good start yet again because the Spurs aren't really down the bottom for too long, although... You know, it's again, it's a completely different scenario because they don't have many veterans. It's a lot of, you know, young players in their team. So, again, I think that fit as well with the Spurs culture that Pop has instilled for 27 years and counting would be, you know, the ideal start for, I think, Victor Webb and Yama if he is drafted by the Spurs and if at first the Spurs do get the number one pick because I think back in 97, they weren't supposed, they weren't even a chance to get the number one pick because Boston had like a 25% chance that mm. year of getting that top overall pick and, of course, that didn't eventuate. It would be interesting to see how the Spurs could possibly retool if they got the number one pick this year. They do only have three people on their roster over the age of 30, Ken Birch, um, Doug McDermott, and I think the other one was Gorgie Dang. So not a lot of minutes between those three bets as well. Julian, where do you want to see him end up? Mine was the uh, exact same as Jack's. I would love to see him end up at the Hornets. Um, the Lamella Ball connection, as Jack touched upon, and I think they played a high pace and they're um, quite open to taking threes, which we know he can do. And also, as we know, Eric Collins is one of the most exciting commentators in the NBA. So can you imagine some of the commentary we'd get if he was at the Hornets? Tom, take us home. Well, I was going to say the Spurs, but uh, since two of you have already gone there, I'll go a bit different. And I'm going to say Magic. Uh, Bring back a duo to Orlando that we haven't seen really since Shaq and Penny days. Um. Could you imagine, you know, Bancaro and Wemby in a, in a nice little pick and roll? And then you also add in uh, Franz Wagner, a bit of Markel Foots, Ball Ball. I mean, could you imagine a power forward center combination of Victor and Ball Ball? It'd be pretty hard to score on them. Um, and, you know, just a nice young nucleus. If they can all keep them together under contract, they could be a beast in the East for years to come. They've already started to show their potential, uh, playing probably above what they thought was possible for this year as well. Markel Fultz, again, starting to play really well, having some flashy dimes. Always love to see that as well. Uh, well, it's interesting. We'll see who's right when they uh, pick the ping pong balls in a little bit of time. Uh, we're going to move on to our week 24 preview and our standings recap. So we're getting towards the business end, uh, particularly in the Western Conference. Uh, historically tight still, only three games between, I think it's fourth and uh, 13th position. Um, look, I think the most interesting stories are the Lakers. Um, they're still on that surge without LeBron. And we've seen LeBron get reingrated into a, a starting lineup and the Lakers take a couple games in the loss column previously. Uh, D'Angelo Russell still missing a couple games with a hip complaint as well. Lost, uh, missed yesterday just before tip-off. Uh, he missed a bit of time last week. So the Lakers currently have the fifth easiest schedule remaining. They play the Bulls twice, so you think they can get one there. The Timberwolves and Houston this next week. 
anyone want to talk about the Lakers? Yuri, you look like you're itching to talk about it. Is that just is that how you look when you're interested? Oh, yeah. So, no, basically what we touched upon, Alex, too, was, you know, they've absolutely, absolutely got clicking the right time with 11 of their last 16 contests that they've won. And, again, this four-game trip is going to be really crucial because Utah holds the tiebreaker over the Lakers, and they've got two more games left, including I'm pretty sure it's the regular season finale on April 9 or April 10. So there's still two more meetings between the sides. They lost the season series to Dallas 3-1, so that could come back to bite them if the Lakers, you know, do stumble on their upcoming four-game road trip after their home game. Basically, it's a what, home and home with the Chicago Bulls anyway. So those season series tiebreakers for the Lakers, yeah, they're going to be vital for them. If they can, you know, come through 3-1 and one on this four-game road trip and beat the Bulls who, you know, beat up on basically a Damian, Damian Lillard less Portland Trailblazers yesterday, then that's going to be good for them. But that's going to be really, you know, significant for the Lakers. If they get through 3-1, then they're basically one and a half tickets away from stamping themselves to, you know, the playing tournament or even, you know, the sixth spot. So keeping in the West for now, OKC have the third easiest schedule remaining. Uh, did put down a couple games um, earlier this week, so let me just pull up my Western Conference standing. OKC currently sitting in 10th, uh, 13 and a half games back from the lead, which means they're only three games back from that fourth position. Still in there with Jalen uh, Williams playing really well, like we talked about off the top. Uh, they play Portland, Charlotte, Detroit, and Indiana this week. So if everything's kicking for them, that's potentially four victories as well. Um, and then um, moving to the east, uh, the 76ers have looked really well. Um, Tom, where are they sitting now and, and what do you think they can do? Well, as we record, they're currently down six points to the Suns late in the third quarter. They'll get it done. Uh, but, <laughs> well, their upcoming week could make or break their season because they're at Denver, which could also uh, sway the MVP a little bit. Who knows? Then they host the Mavs and Raptors to close out the week which they need to basically go 3-0 because the following week after that, they go to the Bucks, then they host the Celtics, Heat, and then they close in Atlanta. And how important home court is can be debated. As we saw last year, everyone points to that Celtics-Bucks game seven when Celtics won at home, but everyone kind of ignores the fact that the Bucks won two games in Boston, Boston won two games in Milwaukee. So home court might not be as valuable, but still, you'd rather have it than not. And so if they lose that home court advantage to Boston, potentially that 2-3 matchup, assuming they both make it through, could sway the series in a seven-game in Boston. Uh, but, yeah, basically they won't want to slip up in these next few games. Yeah, we talked about uh, that MVP race last week. Um, probably really good for Embiid's case is Giannis and the Bucks just went down to, Den- to Denver just as we are recording. Um, Denver pulled away in the third and it looks like they got the victory as well. Um, Anyone else want to talk about what's interesting them this week or into week 24? There's only a couple of weeks left and then we're into the, the, the mid-end in the playoffs. I think the Chicago Bulls too is one I want to touch on Alex as well because they've now got, I think it's a two-and-a-half game lead over Washington for that 10th and final spot in the playing tournament. And with Indiana's loss early today to the Atlanta Hawks, they're basically three games back. So they've got a bit of a cushion now and... Of course, their recent, well, at the moment, their short three-game trip out west is going well. They've got the Lakers tomorrow and then the Clippers. So if they can beat those two teams, then they're ever so closer to, you know, playing, getting a spot in the plane. Because, again, they've been a real yo-yo side this season, Alex. We saw, of course, the last campaign. They were, you know, one of the real surprises early on through the first 60 games, starting 39 and 21 on top of the East. And then everything went downhill from there. I think they lost... 15 of their last 22 regular season games to drop from top down to sixth. And, of course, they lost to the Bucks in the opening round in five games. So they've been a real hard side to read again, Alex, in terms of, you know, their production. And, again, last week we touched on a little bit on the Chicago Bulls' offensive woes, although defensively they were sitting in the top ten and offensively they're in the bottom five. So that's been the most staggering part of Chicago this season. But yet again, all that stuff doesn't matter as long as you get to the plane and then somehow if they do get to that eighth spot, then, well, who awaits in the Milwaukee Bucks and the rematch yet again? So <laughs> I think, yes, that, that's going to be the real sort of one to watch again on the Chicago Bulls this upcoming week because, again... Look, honestly, if they make a little bit of a push, sorry to cut you off here, but looking at the standings, they can make a little bit of a push and instead of getting the Bucks at one, 
the Celtics at two. And I think the Celtics have been playing really well. Jason Tatum and um, Brown have had really high highs, but they have shown vulnerabilities this year, in the, particularly in the back half. Um, I came on this podcast in week in our first episode and said, we will know by the end of that week if the Bulls are in or out. And um, we still don't know. DeMar DeRozan's got a little bit of an injury, but they've played really well, particularly Vucevic scoring well. Um, if they make the push, so let's say they get to the 7-8 spot, the Hawks are falling, the Heat are falling, they're only two and a half games back from the Hawks. That means if they win their play-in situation, they could get, uh, go against the second seed, which we think is the Celtics. Could they scare the Celtics? Well, well they showed the, it during the regular season. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, well, in the regular season, they split the season series 2-2. Uh, weird game in Chicago where Boston, I think, went up by about 18 in the first quarter and then ended up losing by about 15. Yeah, that's uh, right. It was early. This was like second week of the season, but still. And then the two games in Boston went right down to the wire. Uh, took an Al Horford three, basically, to seal the win in the most recent matchup, I'm pretty sure. And DeMar DeRozan just consistently goes off against them. I think he had about 45 in their second matchup this season and had about 20 free throws or something. So the Bulls have shown for the last couple of years that they can actually beat the Celtics. So it wouldn't be a walkover as many people would think. Jules? Yeah, no, I was just going to touch on the West really quickly. Um, the, 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 the Kings um, are currently sitting third and uh, five games ahead of the Clippers, and I think currently they're up against the Jazz, um, which will put them one game behind Grizzlies for that second spot. And then looking at their week ahead, they've got they host the Timberwolves, and then they've got back to back games away against Portland Trailblazers. Then they host the Spurs, so they actually got a few games there that are quite winnable. So it's really interesting to see how the Kings end up after next week as well. So we'll, we'll check back in next week. That's the pitfalls of doing a weekly podcast. We have to wait a whole extra week to talk about the really interesting things happening. I guess we might leave it there, guys, because we've just gone over time and I'm having too much fun. I don't want to stop. Um, look, guys, if you uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can hear more of me on the Three Minute Basketball Podcast, B-Ball Bites. You can read Tom Dev on theroad.com. Uh, Jack's also on the Sports Confidential Podcast, talking all things sports. Yuri, you're on radio at the moment. Where are you? Where can we listen to you? Yeah, so basically I'm on a DRM1, which is Perth's number one online radio station. So tomorrow evening I'll be back on and covering the latest from, you know, the sporting world, from the NRL and the recent Sheffield Shield final between WA and Victoria and a lot more. Can I come on to talk about that Dolphins-Broncos game? Because that was fantastic. And I've got some things to say about the Cowboys too. But um, and Julian, have you got anything to plug? Uh, you can find me on the Mojo Sports Network. That's where I'll be. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. Um, Look, we really appreciate your time here today. We hope we see you next week. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Mojo Sports Network and Mojo Stateside, or um, subscribe and like the podcast. Uh, It means a lot to us. It's a new network. Anyone got anything else to say as we sign off for week 23? Happy birthday, Alex, and we're, we're so excited that you were able to dunk the ball. Good so am I. Look, if I can't <laughs> brag about that on a podcast, why can't I brag about it? <laughs> Shout out to the boys. We've got our grand final for Division 4 men's. So we're all 35 or something this Wednesday. So I'll let you know how we go this week. <laughs> That's great. See you, lads. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, and if you've stuck around this long, check out our links in the show notes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us a rate, subscribe to us on Instagram. Check us back here next week for the NBA Weekly Recap Show, hosted by the Mojo Sports Network. I edit the show, and Ben McQueen is our executive producer. We'll see you next week.